Good morning, Lake Murray. Merry Christmas to you. It is a beautiful, as I was driving in this morning, just a beautiful, cold and bright Christmas morning. And I am so uh, delighted to have the opportunity for us to gather together. What a better way to celebrate the birth of our Savior than to gather together with the saints to sing and to celebrate and to worship. And so I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity to gather together this morning. And I'm so thankful that you all have made the, de- the decision to come and to be a part of what God is doing here today. You know, birth announcements are a funny thing. I think back to one of my favorite commercials when I was a kid, and it was for a collect call company. Does anybody remember the 1010-220? Like, that? remember when that? If you don't know what a collect call is, you can Google it later. You can ask an old person. Um, <laughs> I remember there was a commercial where a man tries to call his friend that he's had a child who's born. Raymond, you remember this. It was, I see you nodding. And he calls and he says, he answers the phone. He says, hello. And he says, you have a collect call from, and it says, Bob, we had a baby. It's a boy. And he (laughs) hangs up and his wife says, who was it? He said, Bob, they had a baby. It's a boy. And that, you know, that was the whole idea, the birth announcement. And birth announcements have really changed now. It used to be that you would mail out some kind of postcard or something to let folks know that a child had been born. But now with Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, it's very easy to make it known that a child has been born. And when there is a birth announcement that goes out, it usually includes a couple of things. It includes a picture of the baby. It includes some information about him or her. It includes who the parents are, how much the baby weighed, when the baby was born. And it's often received either the day or a few days after the baby is born. But how odd would it be to receive a birth announcement before a baby is born? Like how odd would it be to see, welcome this baby who hasn't been born yet? And there's no note and there's no pictures and there's no name or no weight, no identity of the parents, just welcome this baby who would be born. Now imagine even in a much more strange light, if you received this birth announcement, not just days or weeks or months before the child was born, but imagine if you received it years or perhaps even centuries. If someone posted on Facebook today, coming a baby in 2772, you would think to yourself, this has got to be a special kid for this much of a heads up. And yet this is exactly what occurs in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is God's prophet to the people of Judah in the Old Testament. And he announces in Isaiah chapter 9 the birth of a child. But he doesn't say when the child will be born. And in fact, he gives very few specific details regarding the child's arrival. He'll tell us what city the child will be born in. He'll give us some mysterious line that uh, Matthew read just a few moments ago about a, a virgin will conceive, but all in all, he doesn't give us a lot to determine when these events will occur. But though he doesn't give us much in the way of when or how, he does tell us who this child will be and why he has come. These last few weeks, we've been studying the Christmas story from the pages of the Old Testament. What we've come to see is that the birth of Jesus can only be fully understood in the bridge that it provides between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We've seen from the very beginning pages of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 where God promises to send one born of a woman who would crush the head of the serpent and destroy the works of the devil, the true son of Adam. We saw that he would also be the son of 
Abraham, born of Abraham's family, Abraham, who God promised to make a great nation through his son, Isaac, through whom all the nations and all the families on the earth would be blessed. This child would be their sacrifice for sin. This one who would rule God's people as their rightful king from the line of their greatest king, King David, who God had promised to bless by establishing his throne. You see, God's Old Testament people, the Israelites, had waited in anticipation for this deliverer, and they had waited and they had watched for hundreds of years. And in their waiting and their watching, they oftentimes grew disinterested or distracted or even in pieces of time devoted themselves to other gods. And at the time of Isaiah, the family of Abraham, the kingdom of David, is divided into two kingdoms. They have Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and both kingdoms are teetering on the brink of destruction and exile because of their sinfulness. In 722 BC, Israel will fall to the Assyrians, and then just 100 or 25 years or so later, Judah will fall to the Babylonians. And how difficult must it have been for those people to continue to believe the promise of God that he would send the deliverer who would crush the head of the serpent, through whom all the nations and families on the earth would be blessed, who would establish God's kingdom. And yet God, even in the midst of Israel's disobedience, even in the midst of their distraction, continues to send prophets, men who spoke the word of the Lord to the people, men like Isaiah. And often these were difficult words of judgment, where the prophet was calling the people's attention and their affections back to the Lord whom they had left. But embedded in these words of judgment from the prophets also are words of promise that God had not forgotten his people and that his plan to rescue them and establish his kingdom was underway. And it's here in this context that we find the birth announcement from the prophet Isaiah. He announces the birth of a child some 750 years before Jesus would be born who would be the deliverer that the people are looking for. He is the one who will establish God's kingdom and bless every nation on the earth. And we read from this passage often at Christmas, but I think it's important for us to remember that when this passage was given, the people had to believe the promise by faith. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and thank you for this Christmas morning where we celebrate the child who was born, the son who was given, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so, God, we pray that this morning as we study this passage, you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive that which you have for us by your spirit through your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather this morning to worship you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So let's ask three questions this morning about this very familiar Christmas passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Here are the three questions that I want us to ask. First, who is this child? This child that is born, who is he? The identity of the child is essential to understanding the passage. Who is this child? Secondly, what will he accomplish? Isaiah says a child will be born. And you might say, well, a child is born every day. What's special about this child? What's special about this child is who he is, but also what he will accomplish. And then third, how will he accomplish it? How will this child accomplish this incredible task that he has been given? What we'll see this morning as we study this passage together, I believe, is this, that as the Son of God, Jesus came to reconcile all things and make peace by his cross. All throughout this series, we've said, you can't understand Christmas apart from the cross. That Jesus not only came, born as a baby in a manger, but he came to die on a cross. And it's the cross that gives Christmas its meaning. And we'll see that this morning through this passage here in Isaiah. But let's begin here in verse 6. What child is this? What child is this? Verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. Uh, Not long ago, I read a book about the history of the Navy SEALs, and it was a very fascinating book. It was, I was blown away as I continued to read a little bit more about the history of the Navy SEALs, but I was really uh, impressed. I think, I think I kind of knew in the back of my mind the rigorous training that these men uh, undergo to become Navy SEALs, but in reading this book, I was just blown away by how much training these men are required to undergo in order to become Navy SEALs. And when you think about it, it makes sense. These men will be sending then should be second to none. Why is that? Because for the most important missions, you need the best team. And here, when God promises to send a deliverer, he promises to send a deliverer into the most important mission that the world has ever known. He's sending one who will fulfill the promise that he made to Adam. He's sending one who will defeat the devil and the powers of darkness. He's sending one to rescue God's people and to establish God's kingdom. And so who does God send for this most important of missions? He doesn't send an angel and he doesn't send a warrior and he doesn't send a prophet. He sends a child. Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born. Now, many of us know the old adage, you don't send a boy to do a man's job, but that's exactly what Christmas is about. It's about a boy who came to do God's. And so who is this child? Isaiah wants his readers to know that the child is not just any child. And he'll tell us this in this moment of description, in just a moment, in his description, what the child has come to accomplish. But we know that this child is not just man, but that he is God himself. That for the most important mission the world has ever known, for the most important task that could ever be accomplished, God comes himself. And he comes to fulfill his promise, to defeat the devil, to rescue his people, and to establish his kingdom. This is the truth of the incarnation. If you were with us last night for our Christmas Eve service, we talked about the incarnation, that God has become man. 
without ceasing to be God. He didn't just simply appear to be a man or pretend to be a man. He was a man and everything that it means to be a man, but he never ceased to be God. And so this child who is born will be both God and man, and he has come to dwell among human beings to rescue them from the consequence of the fall of Adam and to bring them new life. J.C. Ryle, the great Anglican minister, once wrote this. He says, the second Adam, meaning Jesus, is far greater than the first Adam was. The first Adam was only a man, so he fell. The second Adam was God as well as man, and he completely conquered. This child that Isaiah announces is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, John says in John chapter 1, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4. And how does Isaiah know that this child that will be born will be the perfect God-man? And what has he come to accomplish How do we know what he will come to accomplish? By the names that he is called. We just sang this a moment ago. His name shall be. And that verse in the song comes directly from this passage. Look at the end of verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are royal titles for the child who will be born. And Isaiah is doing something particular in his context. He is contrasting the child who will be born with the present king of Judah. At the time, in the time of Isaiah's writing, Ahaz is the king of Judah. And Ahaz, the Bible describes, is a wicked and a foolish king. And here, Isaiah says, we may have a wicked and foolish king now, but there will be one who will come, a child to be born, And he says he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Andy Davis, who for a long time was the pastor at First Baptist of Durham, writing in the Christ-centered exposition commentary, writes about these titles. He says these are four couplets or four pairs of two words linked together, and they are a mingling together of the supernatural and the natural of God and of man. And so when he calls him wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, even in those titles, there is a mingling of God and man, the supernatural and the natural. When he calls him wonderful counselor, the word wonderful is to be translated to mean the ability to work supernatural signs. This child who will come will be able to work supernatural signs among the people. But the word counselor refers to one who gives wise advice. And so Jesus comes to both do signs and wonders among the people, but also to give wisdom by his life and his teaching. He shall be called mighty God. Mighty was a common description of a great, powerful warrior, one who had conquered, one of great skill and ability. And the word for God was reserved for the absolute divine. And so when Isaiah calls Jesus or the child who will be born, mighty God, he says he is all powerful, but he is all powerful because this child is not only a man, he is also divine. It's meant to show the infinite power of Jesus, who is an omnipotent warrior and the one who will slay the powers of darkness. He is everlasting father. Again, this mingling of the natural and the supernatural, whereas father is a common everyday word. 
But when you add the title of everlasting, it signifies that he was the father from eternity past and his fatherhood continues into eternity future. And though we know from our talk of last night about the Trinity that the distinctness between the Father and the Son in the Trinity, the Son will play a fatherly role in his life, especially towards his disciples, whom he will affectionately call son or daughter. And finally, Isaiah says he is the Prince of Peace. The word prince was often used to designate a government official, but this ruler... This ruler will not be characterized by politics or power or persuasion. He will be characterized by peace. The great kings and officials of the day sought to bring peace by war. But Jesus will bring eternal peace and rest to God's people through his death and through his resurrection. And so Isaiah describes for us a child who will be born that we know today as Jesus of Nazareth who is the radiance of the glory of God, Hebrews chapter one says, the exact imprint of his nature and of the increase of his government, Isaiah goes on in verse seven, and of his peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. His kingdom and his reign will be ever expanding and never ending. Unlike the kings and rulers of men who will always, he will always govern with justice, righteousness. He will uphold the cause of the poor and the broken and the oppressed. He will be the fulfillment of God's promise to David and he will rule over God's creation and his kingdom forever. All that is broken by sin, this child will restore. All that was lost at the fall, this son will redeem. All that died in Adam, Jesus will resurrect. And this is the hope of Christmas. Not just that Jesus came, but that he's coming again. And that at his second coming, he will rule and reign over the earth as its rightful king. And how can we be sure of this? Look at the end of verse 7. How can we be sure that he will accomplish his mission? That he will be crowned king? The end of verse 7. Isaiah wants to leave no doubt. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. When you're zealous for something, it means that you are passionate and determined to see it through. And even the most zealous among us, even the most passionate and determined among us, oftentimes are not able to see through the things that we would like to see through. But this is not the case with the Lord. There has never been something that he has sought to do that he has been unable to accomplish. There is nothing that he desires that he is unable to bring to pass. And so when Isaiah says, all that is predicted will come to pass, he is confident to say so because the Lord will see through it, will see to it. And how will he establish the rule of his son? What's fascinating about this is as we read this, we think this warrior king who will come But in his first coming, he came not as the warrior king, but he came as a child born in a manger, born in poverty to parents who would become refugees, who would live in a backwater town of Nazareth. Throughout his life, he would live 
hand to mouth, and throughout his ministry without even a home to call his own. And he would die poor. And he would die at the hands of the most powerful government of the day. And yet it is in his death that the Lord establishes his rule, not by power and might, not by politics and wealth, not by coercion or command, but by suffering and sacrifice. Later in Isaiah, the prophet will go on in greater detail about how the son will defeat the devil, rescue God's people, and establish God's kingdom. He will do so by becoming our suffering servant who will bear the punishment for our sin and will die as a substitute for our salvation. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. You see, Jesus accomplishes the plan of God in his death on the cross. Christmas has no significance apart from the cross. If Jesus had only come to be with us and not to die for us, we would have no hope beyond this life. But it was through his death that he was to be crowned king. And in his resurrection, to restore all things. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 says, For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, in Jesus' death and his resurrection, not only does God fulfill his promise to destroy the devil in the darkness, not only does he make a way for all the families on the earth to be blessed by Abraham's family, not only does he establish the rule of the eternal king from the line of David, but he sets in motion a plan to redeem all things. And Christmas, brothers and sisters, declares to us that God keeps his promises. And that he has provided a way for all people to be saved and for all creation to be restored. And that as the Son of God, Jesus has come to reconcile all things and make peace by his cross. And this is what we worship, why we worship, who we worship this Christmas day. And we gather together this morning to remember and to celebrate who he is, and what he has done. And this is the purpose and the meaning of Christmas that must not be lost in the gifts and in the meals and in the festivities. That when we could not get to God, God came to us. And in his coming, he defeated our greatest enemy. And he rescued us from the power of sin. And he established an everlasting kingdom that we are now invited into as citizens and sons. But more than that, Christmas is a reminder that as assuredly as he has come, he is coming again. And the anticipation of Christmas waiting for this day reminds us that we live now in the time where we pray, come Lord Jesus. And we long for that day with an anticipation that is forged in the fires of suffering and trials and just as the people of God were awaiting his arrival, we too now await his return. And we don't know when it will be. And we don't know how it will come to pass. But we are confident because he has come. He is coming again. And so we sing this Christmas, O come, O come, Emmanuel. 
promise of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. For indeed he was, indeed he is, and indeed he forever will be. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and thank you that we celebrate the gift of grace that is Jesus this Christmas day. And Father, I pray in all the good of today, in all the joy of family and friends and celebration and festivities and feasts, Father, that we would not lose sight of the greatest gift that has ever been given, of the meaning and the reason for our celebrations. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And so, Father, I pray that for each family, each person represented in this room, that today might be a day of great joy and great hope in our Savior who has come and who is coming again. We love you. We praise you. We give all honor and glory that is due you to you in our song, in our prayers, in our offerings, very lives, for you are worthy of it all. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?